Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's See what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am doing well. We were all set to make elderflower champagne today, but it was cloudy and drizzly, so we didn't. Oh, bummer. Wow, you need our weather. It is 
so hot and toasty here today. We are at 97 degrees right now, and it feels so much warm. Oh, my gosh. I'm wearing a long sleeve sweatshirt. Oh, wow. Oh, I can feel the coolness of the cat skills. It, it, it cool. helps a little bit. Cool of the cat skills. My thermometer says 62. Oh, how lovely. That's definitely a lot cooler than you. So, yeah. however, and of course, I mentioned last week that the elder was blooming. It doesn't bloom forever. So if for some reason we miss the blooms here, we can get into the herbalist time machine and still be able to make our elderflower champagne. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the herbalist time machine? Uh, you're going to go to a different location where it's sunny and higher. raining? Higher. Yeah. No, we're going to go higher, right? We can't. If the blossoms, if by the time the sun comes out, the blossoms are spent, because they will have been blooming for over a week by that point, then we'll go higher where they haven't been blooming. Mm. Higher is always your time machine. Mm. Unless, of course, you live really high, and then lower is kind of your fast forward into the future, not exactly the kind of, we always want a time machine that takes us to the past, right? Who wants to fast forward to the future? Right. Well, I guess maybe somebody waiting to be old enough to get a driver's license with. Mm. <laughs> I remember those days. It did It did right. seem like a long wait. Yeah. Didn't it? <laughs> fast forward, fast forward. <laughs> oh. uh, and... Um, Lisa and Nicole and I, Lisa's the past apprentice, Nicole's the current apprentice, we're sitting today and talking about menstruums, about the many things that we can use to make herbal remedies. And I said, you know, if we wanted to, the three of us could sit here and I'm sure that we could list over two dozen different menstruums. And, you know, you kind of feel in the air this, like, really? Could we do that? And I said, well, let's, like, let's think about oil as a menstruum. I said, okay, so most people use olive oil, but we could easily go through, surely, a couple of dozen different right? Sesame oil and almond oil and olive oil and hemp oil and rose oil. It goes on and on and on and on and on. There's so many oils. And then I talked about um, reading Hildegard of Bingen, who suggested a ointment made with an herb. We don't know what the herb was, but we know that she said the belly fat of a young male goat. Mm. What do you think would be in the belly fat of a young male goat? Um, probably about a Hormonal stuff, like... Um, Hormonal stuff, testosterone. Yeah, yeah. And certainly not all breast cancers, not all breast cancers are estrogen receptor positive, but a great many breast cancers are fed by estrogen and testosterone. Counters that. 
mm. my son-in-law's prostate cancer, which is testosterone-fed, is being countered by giving him shots of estrogen. Wow. So interesting. I didn't know that about the, well, I did know that about the goats, but now I'm just thinking about that. I didn't know that, I guess, about the testosterone relationship to breast cancer and estrogen. Very interesting. Right. The testosterone counters the estrogen like estrogen counters testosterone. They're antagonists. Wow. I love that. Thank you, Cody. (laughs) Yeah. But it would be the belt of any young male animal, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, you know, she specified goats because there probably were goats there and would be easier access is, is my thinking and that there would be enough of it to make the ointment. And, you know, that was quite a while ago that I wrote the breast book and was looking into those things and I've been talking about that ever since about using animal fats and the the gifts of the animals and how important it is to accept those gifts. Um, accepting of a gift shows respect. Mm-hmm. The accepting of a gift triggers gratitude. The accepting of a gift opens up us to a relationship with something outside of us. Something that's different from us. And she's been interested in plantain. You may recall that she's from the Philippines and will be returning there. So plantain is a plant that I'm very familiar with that I know grows in the tropics. Oh, so I think it's a good plant for her to spend some time with and get to know. And I thought that without knowing what I know now, what she has told me is that she has found herself to be very reactive to things that contact her body, poison ivy, insect bites, things like that. Oh, so fascinating. Oh, I Isn't love that amazing? So, so you know, amazing. Plant, right? Plantain is just so amazing for that. Do you have any plantain stories? Well, um, I, I, that's one of my first herbs that I worked with because it's so abundant, it seems to me, and it's under my feet all the time, so I don't have to look far for it. Um, I work with plantain when I am itchy a lot, like, um, mostly for bug bites, I would say is my go-to. And then I, it's a real go-to for me with animals. So I, um, utilize the plantain a lot for pulling things, um, out of wounds, um, things that are, you know, in and I can't get them out. And the plantain does such a wonderful job with that. And heals, it's like antibacterial as well. So the wound stays so clean as it heals. Um, and I would love to do that with comfrey, but the plantain is just so abundant. So I guess that's my plantain story is she's so, so giving, always, always around. <laughs> always, always there. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, mm-hmm. underfoot, right? Vegerich, the way plant, the plant along the way in German. And white man's foot, a name supposedly given to it by native people because the seeds are very mucilaginous and were more likely to stick to the hard leather soles of the white people's boots than to the soft leather soles of moccasins. And so where the white man trod, plantain would grow. You can see it in any college campus that has like a big lawn. You can actually see where the students walk across the lawn because there'll be a plantain path. Yes. I have a path of it on my way to the barn. <laughs> like yes. I can tell where I go around the barn because the plantain is the biggest plantain I've ever seen in my life and so abundant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She follows yeah. me everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I was talking about the people that I know that um, pack plantain with them when they go out. Mm. Like if they're going out <laughs> hiking or camping or doing things like that. So if they ha- you know, that way, if they get a sting or a bite, <clears throat> like they'll also be plantain there in the parking area before you go out hiking, right? As you get more right. in the woods, there's going to be less plantain. So they'll pick a couple of fresh plantain leaves just to have with them. Yes. yes. Just in case they need them. And people who are really allergic will often carry dry plantain with them. Mm. I've never worked with so dry plantain. Right in the little kit with their EpiPen. And they use the plantain first, but they have the EpiPen as a backup. M- most of the time, what they say to me is they don't need the EpiPen, the plantain totally takes care of it. Wow. And how are they using the dry plantain? They're making a quick Chewing tea? it up. Chewing it oh, up. No. Wow. No, you don't have wow. time to make tea. You do That's not have time to do that. Yeah. I just didn't, I was thinking that there was enough. The spit still activates the plantain even when it's dry. That is yes, so yes, cool. of course. Yeah, yeah. I love Totally. Okay. I, okay. I wow, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And and so that was really kind of the summation of today's class is there isn't one right way to do it. There's no one right way to make an herbal oil, an herbal ointment, an herbal herb in some kind of fat. There's no one right way to do it. There's what you have access to, what you desire, what's growing there for you. To me, this is what people's medicine is about, is that it's not to try to make patent remedies, but to encourage everyone to make their own remedies in the way that best suits them and their situation. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And the weeds are so happy to oblige. Yes, and it's so fun. It, it invites the play into the experience, too. You don't have to take it all so seriously, and then that opens pathways of connection that come from a place 
beyond just, you know, it's like the head. <laughs> An integrated experience with the plant <laughs> and the creation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that our guest tonight, Meg Beeler, is going to tell us more about that. She has a lifelong passion for soul healing, heart opening and reweaving the connections between all beings. Sounds right up our alley, huh? It does. So stay here until 9 o'clock East Coast time or come back at 9 o'clock East Coast time or whatever time that is, wherever you are, and hear what Meg Beeler has to say about weave the heart of the universe into your life, aligning with cosmic energy and her Sonoma Mountain Preservation Group in the North San Francisco Bay Area. And, true to my word, let us continue with our story. I'm going to go back a little because we had a hiatus, not too much. Let's see where I want to go back. Serenity as deep as the water below until something slimy brushed past her. She splashed into tension in that same moment a wave knocked her face, filling her eyes and nose with salty water. The once tranquil waves now churned with menace, all the more frightening for their indifference. The shore was so far away. She could see the white of her, her cotton undergarments flapping in the distance as the sea swept her further west and south. She felt cold and sick and panic rose in her as she understood the danger she was in. The uncertainty of her future needed into her heart, just like the way mother needed rosemary into her bread. Her hopes and expectations shriveled in the face of the giant, uncaring sea. The white cotton fabric in the distance blew in her mind a small white flag and unwilling surrender she felt really angry at this unintended symbol of defeat blinded by her anger the image of the flag shifted and grew it grew it grew until it became a ship's sail a means of propulsion a movement away from this place the sail grew larger and larger and, and larger still and now it was a white mass of fabric a, a handkerchief so huge so huge it covered the sky and blotted out the stars it became large enough to soak up all the tears of the sea and again as with her heave hum cries in the glade the white in her mind seemed to expand from out of her and to fill up the whole world yes there was unmistakable brightening Goldilocks looked up and saw the dark moon slowly open its eye into the light. She watched this miracle, awestruck, as the moon came into fullness and then was suddenly closed into shadow again. It was as though the universe had taken a brief glance into the sea's mirror. She felt into the magnificent darkness, almost disbelieving the brightness from a moment before. The rise and fall of waves around her read from their pages into her mind. 
It all comes out of the blue. She looked again to the faraway coast. Her bindle was just a distant speck of <clears throat> white on the shore. She did not know what the future held, but that did not mean that she was going to surrender to panic and cold. She set her mind on landfall, felt for the current, and began to swim. Rather than struggling against it, she joined that current going south. She kicked her legs, and she pumped her arms, and she headed south until the westward current slacked. Then she turned toward shore and pushed with all her might. Her muscles blazed with total effort. She felt the white sail in her heart. She had strength. She remembered the honey on her tongue, the bees' energy and joy bounding from flower to flower, the thrum of her sadness that matched their song. It all came from the same place, a source within that is also her desire for the shore, a rhythm, a message, a Morse code from the deep, deep depths of ancient great-grandparents who pushed, pushed, pushed into each other, pushed into the woods, pushed into the water, pushed into words, pushed into birth, pushed new life into being the ancient wavelength, the ancient will, the ancient desire, the ancient faith, and go, 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 let's go, 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 grave it steadily from behind the eastern shore, as though each stroke of her limbs cranked the sun from behind the planet's blue backside. Push, 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 push. Goldilocks prayed with every atom of her being sand. Sand beneath her feet. Oh, oh, a dream of rest for her body numbed by her fiery and with the solid miracle of earth below her. Goldilocks finished her struggle to the shore, arrived safely, and collapsed. She opened her eyes after a brief rest. Her muscles burned, and her mind swirled in on itself. She rolled onto her back to face the brightening sky. She felt the surf sweep under her in a way. She, she deeply exhaled and got to her feet. Her belonger out of sight up the coast. She was very hungry and thirsty. On the sandy ridges behind her, she saw some vegetation, so she crested the dune, and there was a vast heathland tumbling down from the forested cliffs to the north. Purple and red shrubs, small trees, and lichens swirled boulders, weaved among grasses and wildflowers. The entire scene sparkled with dawn's wet exhale of Fairy star, turquoise gold, silver, violet, pink. Goldilocks, stunned by the view but driven by her intense hunger and thirst, approached a bush. Blueberries, laden with morning dew, tears of happiness sunk her eyes. She sat on the sharp grass and ate with urgency. The sweet, acidic wet of blueberries was a deep relief. The sun continued to rise in the east. It burned away the morning fog as Goldilocks sated her hunger. Despite the heathland's beauty, Goldilocks knew that home would not be found traversing more deep to this unsheltered land. She longed for the shaded forest beyond the rosemary, beyond the bee's glade. It held the promise of return. With gratitude and purpose, Goldilocks snapped a branch, weighted with berries, and carried it with her as she returned to the soft sand for her long walk north. 
protected by dune and cliffside. Goldilocks walked all morning as the sun's heat was beginning to crest on her path. She saw the little flag post of her belongings waving cheerfully. Once reunited, she put on her underthings and dress. Her shoes had been washed away and stashed the remaining blueberries in her pack. Then she shore bindle to continue her track. Up the narrow cliffside, through the rosemary bush in its resinous embrace, and back into the forest. The forest was quiet, save for bird and wind song, until a far-off thundering alerted her. It wasn't from the sky. She walked toward the forceful noise, rushing water, a river, and alongside of the sandy path, she sat down to rest and watch the waters flow. And I think that's a good place to leave her. Nice. It's such a lovely story, boy. I just get right in there. Yes. So much fun. So let's see. Are there any questions tonight? Uh, yes, we have one hand uh, that has been raised by pressing one. I'll remind everyone listening tonight, if you have a question for Susan and would like to speak with her live, please press one, and that will get you lined up in the queue, and your line will be open when it's your turn. Um, our first caller is dialed in from the 954 area code. <clears throat> from the 954, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Can you hear me? I can. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be speaking with you. Um, I have been listening to you for a very long time. Uh, Almost everything I know about herbalism has been um, triggered by you. I'm very grateful for this um, blog talk show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm so excited that I have the opportunity to actually speak with you. Um, I have a a story and then a question. I am 38 years old. I have never um, given birth, and I am dealing with a breast infection. And um, it came on very quickly and became extremely painful and swollen. And um, I have been treating myself, and I wanted to kind of tell you a little bit about that and see if I might be missing anything. So... um, I immediately started um, very large doses of echinacea um, that I made myself based on your guidance. Um, two and a half dropper fills every two hours. Um, I remained in pretty high levels of pain for about two and a half days. Um, I Now the pain is reducing. Uh, the swelling is, I would say, gone. And the enormous painful mass has reduced significantly in size. So I know that I am on the right track. Um, I've also been doing some compresses. I uh, did some cabbage leaves for the fun of it because I've always known about that and never done it. Um, I've taken, um, let's see, I did a lot of ice. And I think that's basically it. I did, um, I upped the linden, I upped the red clover, um, but I am about to be heading out of the country, 
and um, to a remote place where uh, medical care will be difficult to access. And it's not 100% gone. I had in the early times felt some feverish um, feelings. The echinacea had taken care of that. But I'm just wondering if I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out if I'm in the safe zone. Um, I'm sure if I called a doctor, they would probably want to give me an antibiotic. Um, I don't want an antibiotic. Um, I think, but I think I'm questioning that a little bit because of my travel. Um, Are you going to take echinacea tincture with you? Yes. So you can take the same good care of yourself when you're away from home that you do when you're home. It's, It's not like... You're going away and leaving your echinacea behind. True. Okay. Okay. And Excellent. So, so if, if you have a concern, take more. Okay. I guess that's my next right. um, you can thought. Take, so. You can take up to four ounces of liquid in a carry-on. Two-ounce bottles are handy. You could take two two-ounce bottles. Right, yes. there's approximately 40 dropper fulls in an ounce. Okay. So okay. two two-ounce bottles would be over 150 dropper fulls. Right, good call. That should okay. probably cover whatever you need. You are right. Okay. So um, my understanding, I'm not sure if this is correct, is that I sh- um it's okay to stay at this high dosage for about 10 days. Do I, do I have that right? Generally, what I do with echinacea is I start out with a high, what you're calling a high dose frequently, but I never lower the dose. Right. I make okay. doses further apart. Ah. So I don't consider you're taking, you said, a dropper and a half? Two and a half. Two and a half, which is about 60 drops of tincture. So that's about the right amount for someone who weighs 120 pounds. Yep, about right. So that's the right dosage. It's not a high dosage. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Right. It's a good. It's the right dosage. And okay. At the at the onset, when there's redness, fever, pain, swelling, you can take that dose every hour if you want to. Ah. As the symptoms of the infection abate, you lengthen the time between doses. So if you're taking it every hour, then you start taking it every two hours, then every three hours, then every four hours. When you get to every eight hours, that's three times a day. Okay. Okay, that's really helpful. If you're getting seared at three times a day and you encounter something in your travels that somehow worsens it, then you 
take it more frequently again. Okay. But you don't make the dose larger or smaller. Got it. Should I wait until the mass that I can feel in my breast is 100% gone? Yes, I would. Okay. Okay. And I would definitely I think keep that up with, it, with the compresses and all of those other things that you were doing. You know, when I was in the hospital, they had me on IV antibiotics <clears throat> as well as painkillers. And before I could leave the hospital, I had to buy all their drugs. <laughs> it was like an enforcer there. Okay. Uh, but they wouldn't um, prescribe any antibiotics for me. And I said, you're kidding. You've had me on IV antibiotics for two weeks, and now go home and we're not going to give you any? So I, of course, started taking echinacea when I came home, right? Mm-hmm. And I continued to take a dose, which is the amount for my body weight, which is about three dropperfuls, at least once a day for the next year. Oh, wow. I think I fear that if I don't get rid of this completely, it will come back, and I and the people in my life who I've shared this with might be like, oh, the echinacea, it didn't work. It circled back. The echinacea was not able to be successful. Um and it's, an, it's not a matter of echinacea being successful. It's a matter of if the person has applied it in a successful manner. Okay. Yep. So that's what I'm trying to do. Okay. You could say, I got some antibiotic and I sprinkled it on my nose and it didn't cure <laughs> my infection. <laughs> the antibiotic failed. <laughs> antibiotics, so I decided to take it for this infection, and it didn't work. There are always ways to invalidate things, and mm-hmm. one of the things that I am very blessed with is lack of imagination. <laughs> so I'm not bothered in the ways that you are about imagining some possibility and then imagining that someone else might think badly of me because of something I'm imagining. Which hasn't even happened. I'm not even imagining that they're thinking badly of me for something that's actually happening. I'm imagining that they're thinking badly of me for something I'm imagining. How far from reality is that? All right, I got to get my imagination in check. Toss it out the window. Okay. Okay. Right. Uh, Most of the time, it just harasses people. You know. Yes. With all these okay. what ifs and you know this that and the other thing, and it keeps one from enjoying life, and it has led us to an absolute fear of nature, so that yep. we want only to be with nature that we can control. 
We have an example yeah. of this down the road. We have a, a place that was bought by someone who's only going to be up here on the occasional weekend. We're talking like maybe six weekends a year. And they have done their absolute best to completely tame every bit of nature on their property. <laughs> Good luck with they that. They brought in bulldozers and dredged their pond. They put a sand beach around the edge of their pond in big boulders. They have, they have uh, put in a drain field so that there's no standing water on their land and it all drains into the pond. I'm not saying any of these are bad things. I'm simply saying... It ain't nature anymore. Right. Right. And how often we do that because of our fear of nature. Mm, well, thank you. I appreciate You're it. Welcome. You are welcome. Um, you know what? Echinacea works, and you're doing fine. And it's always uh, possible, even if you treat an infection with antibiotics, for it to come back. Sometimes that happens. Okay. Okay. I won't beat myself up if that happens. Don't beat yourself up. One of the things that I heard an herbalist say was that if he's concerned that an infection might come back after he's cleared the infection, he'll do some calendula for a while because calendula, in his words, gets into the nooks and crannies and chases it out. Yes. I need the nooks and crannies. As a tincture? Yeah. Okay. Great. It's blooming right now. There you go. Um, another question I've been curious, and I, I wonder if this is my uh, imagination kind of awry again, but I have trouble with um, I need a story to tell myself to get comfortable with something. So um, I'm a big believer of the nourishing herbal infusions, and I've been taking them consistently since 2015. Um, I'm also a big believer in what I've learned from you about the importance of using the herbs that present themselves abundantly to us around us. Um, and I love that. And I embrace yarrow and St. John's wort and motherwort and elderberry and calendula and, um, and nettles. And I harvest some nettles and I eat some nettles. Um, but as, as we both know, you know, harvesting and drying your own nettles is not enough to get you through your infusions for the year. So I consistently buy from Frontier, my infusion herbs. And I struggle with it every single order because it is being um, grown and shipped, you know, it's, it's grown in... I can't remember exactly where. I think it might be Bulgaria or maybe even Hungary. And it just crushes my, my <laughs> it, it, it crushes my spirit of being so excited about using the herbs around me. And, um, and now all of a sudden I'm ordering this from so far away and I'm polluting the environment by having it shipped to me. Um, and I just, I struggle with it every time. And I wonder if you've ever thought about that or if you struggle with that or what I should, could tell myself in order to get over that issue of just feeling so bad every time I order it. I run a no shame, no blame, no guilt show. Mm. I spend a lot of times with the goods, right? I'm outside. 
with the goats and the plants and the birds and the animals. And I will tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, that I have never seen anything in nature feel ashamed. Mm. I have never once seen a goat stop and say, should I knock down this tree, strip out the bark off of it, and eat all of its leaves? Yeah, it just does it. <laughs> so does not yeah. lay awake that night going, God, what a bad goat am I. I knocked down that tree and stripped all the bark off of it. And what a wretch I am. But I do. I lay in bed at night and be like, I can't but you do. or an herb. So would you just let yourself be part of nature, please? And stop damning yourself for being alive and being a human being and being alive <laughs> this time. Do what you can to reuse, recycle, make your footprint smaller. Those are all good things to do. But harassing yourself, blaming yourself, guilt-tripping yourself, shaming yourself, those things actually don't work. Yeah. You don't change your behavior because of them. You just go around and around on the blame-shame guilt wheel. <laughs> yeah. And you miss out on a lot of fun cut. <laughs> my daughter and I drove down to New York City for an appointment yesterday and on the way back we stopped at a rest area and we took the escalator up to the toilet facilities and when we got out of the toilet facilities there was a sign on the down escalator saying closed and we kind of looked at each other, and we went over to the up escalator and said, do you suppose that we can go down the up escalator? And so we made an attempt. And she actually got all the way down on the up escalator, but I didn't. In fact, I fell on my back, and the up escalator returned me up to landing flat on my back, at which point I flipped over and got up, much, I think, to the delight of the woman behind me who said, there's some stairs over there in the corner. <laughs> and I thought, you know, what a good time I had because I didn't involve myself in shame and blame and guilt. Hmm. Interesting. I, uh, hmm. you know, I totally failed at going down the up escalator. <laughs> and the goddess provided the guys to go, there's over there. <laughs> uh, and... I was delighted, and I suspect that she was, so she maybe even told other people, and they all got a good laugh. Hmm. Isn't that worth it? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I like a no shame, a no blame life. I, I like that. I'm, I think I'm far away from it. I would like that. Um I do well, it with so much pressure take, on myself you know, just, and my personal responsibility. Take, take that first step. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that, that one never examines one's life, but mm -hmm. most people 
never even get half a step into living because of shame, blame, and guilt. Mm. And especially shame, blame, and guilt that they imagine others are going to pin on them for doing things they haven't done yet. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Susan, thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. You are welcome. Where are you going off to? West Africa. What are you going to do there? I'm working um, to help provide an opportunity for governments to discuss best practices in feeding children at school. Thank you. I appreciate Thank you. You're spending your energy and your time. It's a very worthy thing you were doing. Thank you, Susan. I feel the same about you hosting this opportunity. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. All right. Wow, what a what a marvelous conversation. That was thank you, both of you. That's amazing. And um really funny, I kinda laugh at your story too. Although I'm so glad you didn't hurt yourself. It's like it's it's a good thing it went well when you, when you I'm pretty bouncy, you know. <laughs> hey, I'm glad the escalator didn't eat you. Those they always scare me getting on and off. So ah, those teeth went through my mind how sharp they are. So yay, thank goodness it was really Yes, it's true, but I was at the very, very top where they kind of come together, you know. I never even really managed to get much down going at all. (laughs) Justine just kind of leapt over that part and was on the way down before (laughs) the escalator knew what she was doing. So she said what was really hard was getting off at the bottom. Yes, that's what I was imagining, too. She must have spread her wings at that point and just made the final leap. Do not do this at home, children. <laughs> no. <laughs> Enjoy Susan's story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, well, at this time, we do not have any hands raised, but I want to remind everyone listening, if you have a question or would like to speak live to Susan this evening, press 1, and you will be lined up, and your line will be open to ask your question. Um, see, I... Oh, here we have a hand that's just raised from the 346 area code. From the 346, you are live with Susan. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can. Hi, I love you so much. I've read all of your books. My name is Jasmine, and um, I'm finishing up my PhD, but my husband knocked me up. And so um, normally I control my blood pressure and other stuff using herbs, and I realized when I got pregnant, I might not be able to use the same herbs. So I've been reading your book, Herbs for the Childbirthing Year. But there are a few herbs that um, I just want to confirm if they're okay during pregnancy. Um, and so I know you talk a lot about comfrey, and I'm pretty sure that you I wanna, mean that. I want to stop you for a second because... You are flying past something that's critically important. 
As a matter of fact, you're flying past four things that are critically important. So you just said comfrey. Great place to start. What part of the comfrey are you talking about? What what kind of comfrey? No, what part of the comfrey? Oh, comfrey leaves. It's okay. Comfrey leaves. Things. Okay, comfrey leaves. Because you see, comfrey leaves and comfrey, comfrey roots are different. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we're talking about comfrey leaves. And when are we harvesting those comfrey leaves? Oh, I don't harvest them. I just get them from Frontier or from Healing Fruit. Frontier, perfect. Okay, so those are harvested when they're mature because there's a difference between the young leaves and the mature leaves. Okay. The young leaves... And then how are you preparing the comfrey leaves? I do an infusion like what you said in your book where you... Absolutely the safest way to use comfrey leaf is to make an infusion of it. This non-safe way would be to put it in a capsule or um, put it in a tablet or to um, take it in one of those ways. Um, Even as a teacher might be problematic, but as a water-based infusion, so far we're on the up and up here. We have comfrey leaf. It's harvested when it's mature because you're buying it commercially. And you're using it in the water base, totally safe for pregnancy. But let's just check that one last thing. How much are you talking about drinking? Um, so what I do is I take one of those big jars. I think it's like 64 ounces. And I put maybe one to two ounces of leaves in. And then I pour the hot water and let it sit for like four to eight hours. So do you have a scale? No. It's almost impossible to tell by looking at a plant how much it weighs. I've been making infusion every night for 35 years, and the first thing I do when I make infusion is get out my scale. I really don't even consider it infusion unless you use a scale. Okay. For a 32-ounce quart jar, one ounce of dried herb. For a 64-ounce, two-quart or half-gallon jar, two ounces of dried herb. Tightly lidded and brewed four hours or overnight. Sounds absolutely perfect. Did you attend the Comfrey Conference? No, I did not. Okay, it's available as a course now at wisewomanschool.com. And two things I think that would be of interest to you. Barbara Volk, in her question and answer session, talks about the fact that she drank comfrey leaf infusion um, regularly throughout her pregnancy with her children. And that her children drank comfrey leaf infusion regularly while they were pregnant. And that their children, who are now pregnant, are drinking comfrey leaf infusion. Okay. Does this sound dangerous to you? No. No, it doesn't. And you might also be interested in the presentation by Astrid Grove. Astrid apprenticed with quite a long time ago and then went on to study midwifery. 
and to become an independent midwife. She has worked independently as a midwife um, for decades, and she gave a presentation on um, the enormous benefit of comfrey leaf infusion and how that benefit goes up and up and up the older you are. Wow. And I think you said something about that at the beginning, yes? Yes. You're Um, a bit older, perhaps, than other moms. I'm 33. 33. Not horribly old. But, again, edging into what the medical profession would consider high risk. Yes. Right there, high risk beacon turns on at 35. Wow. So and I would say that comfrey is the ideal infusion for you. And again, in rotation. I mentioned at the comfrey conference that I personally have been drinking nourishing herbal infusions for a little over 35 years. And that means I've been drinking five quarts. I'm sorry, six quarts of comfrey infusion every month, right? I'm, I rotate through five herbs. Six times five is 30. So I have six quarts of each herb in a 30-day period. So I drink six quarts of comfrey infusion every month. That's 72 quarts a year, and I've been doing that for 35 years. Wow. So one might think then that if there was any harm that was going to come to someone from drinking comfrey consistently and regularly, that I would be evidencing that harm. And very, very recently, as you may know, I was taken into surgery, um, massive surgery. I was in surgery for 17 hours, and they just aren't going to operate on you to reset your cancer. If there's anything wrong with your liver, they won't even treat you if there's anything wrong with your liver. Mm. Okay. So come for you. So I think we can say that there is no harm that can come to you from drinking comfrey leaf infusion. And if you want more than what I just told you, I encourage you to go to wisewomenschool.com and listen to the whole comfrey conference and listen to person after person who has used comfrey happily and successfully internally and externally. And they'll tell you exactly what they're doing and exactly what they think. Okay. You'll, you'll be able to hear David Hoffman talk about why Comfrey got a bad rap. Yeah, I read that study. That study was really crazy. It was just like crazy. in rats, and they gave them tons of. Uh, it was ridiculous. But um, and I asked David. I said, "Why were they even doing that?" He said, "Because they wanted to see if they could find the part of Comfrey that made bones heal, and then turn it into a drug and make a lot of money." Yeah. 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 So now, if let's go back to your original question: Is comfrey safe for pregnant women? We can't say that comfrey is safe for pregnant women because we don't know what we're talking about. If we okay. say comfrey safe for pregnant women, that could mean that a pregnant woman could take a handful of comfrey root capsules, and I certainly wouldn't want to see that. Yeah, that's dangerous. You need to be specific. What part of the herb? 
generally when is it harvested, how is it prepared, and what dosage we are using. These four things distinguish herbal medicine from folklore. I'm not against folklore, but I am an herbalist, not a folklorist. Okay. So, so comfrey isn't for pregnant women. It's folklore. Comfrey is magnificent for pregnant women when it's the leaf, mature, prepared as an infusion, and used in the round of nourishing herbal infusions. It is stupendous for pregnant women. Okay. So my next question... So then your next question, right? So you can't just, like, run a laundry list of herbs past me here. That's not going to work, right? Oh, but I only have a few. <laughs> I've been using, well, we can, we're going to need to be specific about those few, about what you want to know and how you actually intend to use those. Okay. So the so next moringa, one is? Moringa leaf harvested from a mature plant um, and used as an infusion. Do mm-hmm. you think that is safe during pregnancy? Why wouldn't it be? There's one, there's like, there's actually two studies that they did in rats, and they were using the, the bark and the root of it, and it showed that it was an abortifacent, that it made you abort the babies. And then so all these doctors say don't use it. But it's so, but the leaves are so nutritious, and so I'm like, why can't and I use it? Is this a plant that grows where you live? No. Uh I no, it doesn't. I buy it dried. It's not as nutritious as nettle. Oh, I take nettle. Nettle, I know is safe. I've, so you make nourishing herbal infusion with nettle. Yes, but moringa when I take and you, it, and you nettle. weigh out an ounce of nettle. Well, you don't have a scale, so you can't do that. Well, I use yeah, I use my measuring cup, but yeah, not a measuring cup. You know a. If you buy cut and sift herb, it's mm. going to be quite a bit denser than if it's your own harvested herb. So a cut of cup and sift herb is more than an ounce, and a cup of your own harvested herb is less than half an ounce. It's really not a cup measure. It's not a volume measure. It can't be a volume measure because then we can't maintain consistency. That's why I say it's not actually an infusion unless you're weighing it. Okay. So, moringa is a plant in the Fabaceae family, the pea and bean family. In general, human beings do not eat pea and bean leaves. We generally eat pea and bean seeds. So we eat peas but we generally don't sit down to a meal of pea leaves. We eat black beans and lima beans, but we generally don't cook the bean leaves that we could harvest from our garden. And this is partly because the beans contain sugars and proteins that are difficult for human beings to digest. The fact that a plant contains a lot of nutrition does not mean that you are getting it. 
And I personally, my experience with Moringa is that the supposed nutrition in Moringa is not in a form that human bodies find easy to use. All right, then. But, you know, you have to make up your own mind. I really like this. This really agrees with me. I feel great when I drink it. I'm going to drink it. Every herb in the world has, at one point or another, been said to be unsafe for pregnant women. And when I get doctors who say, oh, well, you're pregnant, you can't use this herb, I suggest that you say, may I eat parsley? And if they say yes, you can say, oh, isn't that interesting? Parsley is an abortifacient. And you can ask, can I eat pesto? And if they say yes, you can say, well, basil is an abortifacient too. And yet millions and millions of women eat basil pesto and parsley and don't abort because they're not using them in a way that would cause abortion. And I doubt that you're using Moringa in a way that would cause abortion. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Thank you. And the last one that I was going to ask about was Jiao Gulan, the herb of immortality. I was drinking it before I got pregnant, and it just tastes so good to me. Um, and I was just using it as a tea. I would just make, like, a tea bag of it or take, like, a pinch of it and put it in hot water and drink it as a tea. And I really loved it. But people were saying they don't know how to use that plant and that you shouldn't do it during pregnancy. So I just wanted to check. Again, based on what? Most of the time, they're going to say, don't use this herb during pregnancy because it hasn't been studied on pregnant women. Yes. But the fact of the matter is that virtually nothing is studied on pregnant women. So to me... That is pretty meaningless. If you think that it's an important herb for you, then you'll use it. And if you don't think that it's that important, then you'll have something else that you'll use, right? Okay. Would you tell me the name again? Could you spell it for me? Jiao Gulan, J-I-A-G-U-L-A-N or something like that. The immortality herb, that's another name that they use. Gynostemma pentaphylum. Exactly. Climbing vine of the cucumber family. Asia, New Guinea has recently been incorporated into herbal medicine.
It's one of the many ginsengs. <laughs> it's not ginseng at all. All right. Um, and certainly don't it says don't confuse this with um, um, but ginsengs because it's not. And that basically the evidence is incredibly slim for it to have any benefit of any kind. It's certainly not a known adaptogen. Well, my experience is it can lower blood pressure and it can lower cholesterol. Absolutely, it can lower blood pressure, but so can motherwort, which probably grows outside your door. But motherwort, they say... That's one of the problems with getting involved with exotic herbs because everything works. Everything works. It's not like... Oh, this herb works and that herb doesn't. No, there are numerous herbs that lower blood pressure. As a matter of fact, they just found did a study that found that eating half a cup of yogurt a day is probably one of the most effective ways to lower blood pressure. Yeah, but there's a difference in how I feel when I take different things. I completely understand that. I thought you yeah. were talking about blood pressure. Well, well, I know, but I'm what just I'm saying... What I'm saying is that there's great many ways to lower blood pressure without importing an herb from Asia. The further away from me the herb grows, the less likely I am to recognize it or to actually know if the herbal material that I'm getting is the plant that I want. In Costa Rica... I talked to people growing una de gato cat's claw, and they said to me that if you buy cat's claw on the open market, you could get one of up to a dozen different plants that are harvested and sold as una de gato. I don't know if I would be able to tell the difference if I was simply buying that. They claim that there's a huge difference in the effectiveness of them. And again, the further away it gets from the caller before was asking about herb grown in Bulgaria. Bulgaria, Hungary, these places deep in Europe are nonetheless part of the temperate zone culture. Many of us have ancestors that came there. I doubt that your ancestors came from where this plant grows. I don't have anything against this plant. And if you want to take it, that's absolutely fine. But when I'm choosing what things are going to be part of my daily life or that I'm going to like, I make myself the offer of rather than liking something that's far away from me and can't ever grow where I live, of liking something that grows near me it is available. So the two years ago, when suddenly we were in the midst of COVID and many things changed, a great number of herbs were no longer available. People were having a very difficult time getting even common things like stinging nettle. But the people that I have taught and the people they've taught weren't concerned. We said, oh dear, look at that. There isn't any singing nettle. We're going to have to go out and harvest a lot more singing nettle for ourselves. 
Whereas if suddenly you couldn't get this herb, that's it. You just couldn't get it. I first understood this when I was working in a health food store. And the owner of the health food store had this new herb from China. And he said this new herb from China is really good for any problem that women have. Now, I, of course, women's problems are lack of child care and flat tires, but that's not what he meant. And I was to advise any woman who came in the store with female problems to take this herb, and I did. And over the course of more than a year, there were certainly over 100 women in town who were very happy with this herb. And then the Food and Drug Administration said, no herbs from China. I'm not going to let you bring them in. And I had all those women really angry at me. They were angry at me because I had encouraged them to take an herb that while it worked, now we couldn't get. And I understood that what had happened was I had been encouraged to climb up a tree and to go out to the very tiny branches and that someone had saw him off and I had fallen to the ground. And I decided to stay on the ground and to not climb exotic trees anymore. You can take anything you want while you're pregnant. Women do. What I'm talking about is not just about being pregnant. It's about the choices that we make and how they impact our world and the world that we want to have. Okay. Yeah. So I hope that you're eating a broad diet because that's, of course, one of the most important things. I try to. Good. Well, thank you for your time. Good variety of cooked foods, cooking your vegetables and fruit, making sure that you're, you know, getting a variety of gifts from the sea, gifts from the animals, gifts from the plants. And I think you're going to have a wonderful pregnancy. Thank you. Dream blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. And at this time, we do not have a hand that has been raised. I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question, you just need to press 1 on your telephone, and we will open your line. And there we have one dialed in from the 512. From the 512, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am enjoying the beauty of where I live. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful and enjoying the same here in Texas, and happy solstice to you. And um, I, uh, I'll get a little preface to this before I get to my question. Um, I learned about you um, over 20 years ago when I was pregnant and I bought your book The Childbearing Year I was 44 years old at that time and this was my bible for the for the year and I learned so much from it and I followed it to a T I had a fantastic tea I delivered my child natural childbirth no medications no you know cesarean no anything just natural childbirth and so now he's 22 years old, and now I'm turning 66, okay? Um, 
And so I, um, I mean, I drank back at that time. I started doing several things and did the, um, I did not do the infusions like what you're teaching now back then, but I did drink, you know, faithfully, you know, red clover and raspberry leaf and, um, the uh, nettles and all of those things. And I also made a beautiful tea. Um, I made it as a tea back then as a replacement for coffee while I was pregnant that I put burdock root and dandelion root and I had, you know, um, milk thistle seeds and several things into it. And then after I had him, I went back to coffee and then I got to thinking, you know, I actually felt better when I was drinking all that. So I went back and started making it again. So probably for about the last 15 years, that's what I have is my morning drink. And I put coffee in it as well, which I didn't at the time, but I do put some in it now. And so it has served me fantastic. I'm at this point in my life, super healthy, love who I am. And then I went back um, probably a month or so ago and listened to that 2007-2008 um, it was like a two-hour lecture that you did um, at, at a summit, at, a, at an herbal summit. And I'm like, you know what? I need to go back and relook at how I am brewing and cooking these things. And I need to get into the, the infusions that you have. So I went back and I started actually infusing my morning drink with the burdock and the dandelion and all those things, boiling the water, Stirring it, getting the extra, you know, air out of it, like you had had discussed in there with the with the test that they had done with the distilled water and everything. Getting it in there, putting a tough, tight, tight, tight lid on it, and and letting it sit overnight, and has completely changed that drink so much. I mean, it is so I can feel the difference and the richness of even how it tastes. It's fantastic. And I started doing the infusions as you have suggested instead of just drinking them as tea. And um and, and loving it. Absolutely, absolutely loving it. So now I'm ready to dive in and do some other things. And so actually my questions I have two questions here. One, the first question is how much of a two of a good thing is too much? But before we get to that answer, the thing I would like to work on at this point in my life is is my eyesight. I don't want to have corrective, I don't want to do, if I can avoid it, I I would love to not do a cataract surgery or anything like that. I don't wear any readers. I don't wear any glasses. My vision is, vision is actually good. And so in my morning, morning brew, I have been putting bilberry into that for for quite a while and I also have have always put in um some um some um um oh gosh um for the heart um the I'm losing it it'll come back it'll come back to me but I put some things no let's see um sorry say that again it's not a leaf it's the um the seed, I mean, like the the hard seed um, for the heart. Um, hawthorn. Hawthorn, yes, thank you, thank you. Hawthorn. I've been putting that in there for years, and I mean that's been great because people in my family have had those issues. I have not. Okay. And again, I went back to my book, The Childbearing Years, found the the your, I mean, what I actually 
didn't do before, but found, you know, how to do the seeds, how to separate it out, you know, and do them for different time periods, except for the hawthorn berry that you can do longer. So I've been doing that. So one of my question is this right here. Actually, I've been doing the bilberry fruit all this time, and I'm wondering if, the the leaf actually would be better in a in a, an infusion instead of doing that bilberry fruit. And then my second question is the eyebright. Because we've talked about eyebright for a long time and I have taken that, but now I'm looking at doing that in an infusion. And I wanted to ask you about that. And if the eyebright is actually good for these things or if it really is more toward junctivitis and and stuff like that. Can it actually help your vision? Eyebright that like a good infusion? Okay, good. That's why I wanted to ask the question. Eyebright is called eyebright because it has a flower that looks like it has an eye in it. That has nothing to okay. do with the eyes. Thank you. It's a mint. Thank you. Okay. So Thank it's you. an herb that is... It's not misused because it's a mint and you're not really misusing it, you know, for your eyes. But it's not useful for your eyes. Mm-hmm. So, so, so if you were going to make... Tell me about your eyes. Tell me what what you're getting at here. Is there a okay. problem with your eyes? The problem is, it's like if I'm driving or if I'm outside, it's cloudy. It's looking like it's like looking through a hazy day. And the way I would describe it is kind of like if you're looking through your bangs all the time, okay? So I have those little dark spots kind of floating around in there. That vision actually in one eye is actually very, very good. But it's, 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 this, it's this haze over the eye. And especially if I'm out driving on the road, it's like I have a I have to really focus to see. Okay. Now I can read fairly well, especially indoors and in the evening. It's getting into bright sunlight that that it's bad. Now I I do the blue blocker glasses for the computer screen that helps tremendously. But it is it's it's I mean I'm I'm guessing it's cataract. Okay, and so um, I would I would guess that your guess is right. Yeah, uh huh. And then just kind of those little floaters and things. So I would love if I am able to correct that instead of having to have the surgery. And you and if you think differently, love to hear your thoughts. My understanding is that a cataract is what we call the aged lens of the eye. There's a lens in your eye. It is starts out clear. If that is exposed to very bright sunlight, then it photodegrades to protect you and becomes cloudier. This also happens as we age if there's not good blood flow to the eyes. So we certainly know, you know, that in in diabetes where the blood gets sticky in the capillaries, that there are uh, problems, and any time that we're not getting excellent circulation to the eyes. In five-element theory, the liver is the gateway to the eyes. So what 
modern medicine would say to you is a cataract is a cataract is a cataract. That is the aged lens of your eye, and we will take it away and put a new, fresh, clear lens in. Most of the people I know who've had cataract surgery are happy with it. Those who aren't are mildly dissatisfied on the order of, I thought it would be better. Mm -hmm. Nobody says, oh, what a horrible mistake I made having cataract surgery. My mother said, why did I wait so long? This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. All right, I'm listening to you. So I understand it is surgery. On the other hand, um, I don't know of any way to get rid of cataracts. Now, there is a faint possibility here, if you want to experiment, the herb Chelidonium magus which is called celandine or celandine poppy, it is said that if you put the juice of that in your eye, that it will clear the cataract. I will, okay. report, I will report this. I got a corneal scratch one winter from jabbing a piece of hay into my eye. I obviously didn't see it, picked the hay up and just jabbed it right into my eye. And because I had been a contact lens wearer when I was young, I know what a corneal scratch feels like because it's that awful grating feeling when you close your eyelid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In other closing your eyelid makes it worse, not better. So I said, oh, bad word, bad word, bad And, you know, um, what am I going to do? And I said, I'm going to dig under the snow because celandine is an evergreen plant. And I knew where it was growing, and I dug under the snow, and I got some, and I put it in the blender with milk, and I strained it very, very well, making sure there was nothing except just liquid that went into my eye, and I put that into my eye. And my eye turned bright red, and it burned like, oh, my gosh, like I had poured hot pepper in it. And I thought, that's it. You just blinded your silly girl. And within an hour, the corneal scratch was gone. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I'm good. And obviously, I didn't find myself. No. Right. Okay. Good. 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 No, I'm good for it. Oh, I didn't just. Okay. I didn't just squeeze the no. juice in it. Partly because it was winter and it didn't have that much juice in it, so I mixed it up mm-hmm. with milk so that I have easy access to my goat's milk. Okay. And okay. I know that milk is a herb healer of the eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Good, good, good. I will experiment and I'll report back to you. Okay? <laughs> How about that? So, Absolutely okay, wonderful. Thank you. I'm remembering some samurai movie that starts out with the hero getting slashed across the face. And he runs into the inn and this woman grabs him, lays him down in her lap, rips open her bodice and starts squeezing breast milk into his eye that's just been cut by the sword. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Oh, right well, as one woman wrote an article called The Medicine on My Chest. There you go. There you go. Good, good, good. I will try that, and I will report back. And thank you All very right. much. All right. We'll look forward I, to hearing I from trust, you. 
I just trust your wisdom so much, and I thank you so much for being such a great influence in my life. And all these people that call in about being pregnant, they can do it. Get that. They food. can do it. That I food. agree with you. It's a buy. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, yeah. Susan. Have a great one. You're welcome. Great great blessings. Good night. All righty. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. And we have about five minutes before Meg is to join us. I don't see her in the queue yet, and we don't have another hand that has been raised. Um, I'll remind everyone if you've got a question last few minutes, you've got a couple minutes to just press one and um, get yourself live on the line. Susan, is there anything you would like to speak about? Or I don't have any email questions tonight. Um, Right. Well, let's put out a little reminder that there is going to be a conference on Hypericum Perforatum, also called by many people St. John's Wort. And what a better time to talk about why I don't call it St. John's Wort. My mentor, Jean Houston, said that perhaps the most important aspect of health is timing. And she says that the solstices are the big timing events on this planet. We certainly know that the oldest made structures were not made for human habitation. Caves were fine for us. The structures were made to mark solstice. So that they would have a narrow aperture, and right at the moment of solstice, the sun would come pouring through and mark, you know, a dagger on the wall or a mark of light, so that they would know, yes, that's the solstice, that's the winter solstice, this is a turn point. Yes, this is the summer solstice, this is the turn. Sol, sun, stasis, sun stands still. The sun stands still, it reaches its furthest point at each of the solstices, and then it turns and goes back. So it's not that the sun rises due east every day. It swings to the side of that east summer and winter. And the marking of the solstice, the recognizing of the solstice, we might even say the celebrating of the solstice, but Perhaps celebrating is a bit of a confusing word because we're actually, it's not like celebrating New Year's, which is just kind of a a made-up thing. Hi, we've made up that this is midnight and we made up that this is January 1st. No, this is an actual event, right, on this planet. The light is actually changing. It affects everything on the planet, us, everything, all the animals, all the plants, and So celebrating it is perhaps a little coy for what's actually going on there. And Jean gave us the analogy of jumping rope. That if you are jumping rope and someone else is turning the rope, and that's usually called, I think, um, double dutch, that there's two people who have the rope and they're turning the rope and you stand beside it and jump in and you get there. You stand there and you kind of bounce a little bit on your knees, right, getting the rhythm of it before you jump in and start jumping the rope. And so we think of the sun's path through the sky as that jump rope. 
and we're going to jump over it winter solstice, and we're going to jump over it summer solstice. That's the pattern. Jump, 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 jump. And so the Catholic Church disrupted this pattern by inserting other holidays and drawing people away from the solstices. The solstices, of course, are <gasps> gasp, pagan holidays. Pagan meaning of the earth. So yes, they are pagan holidays. They are of the earth. They are about the earth. They are about the earth and the sun. And so summer solstice being the 19th, 20th, and 21st of June. Winter solstice the 19th, 20th, and 21st of December. So they brought in Christmas the 25th of December, woo, you know, four days too late, and St. John's Day in June to lure people away from the pagan celebration of solstice. But we could language it differently. We could say that they broke the timing suggesting that we jump at a time that is inappropriate. The plant we're talking about, Hypericum perforatum, is the plant of summer solstice throughout the Mediterranean area where it grows as well as in temperate North America. It was used to bring bring in the summer solstice to celebrate that day, that time, that event, that timing. And there's some discussion about why it's called hyper icon. Hyper, of course, means over or above, and an icon is a religious image. And so one possible derivation is that it is the plant that was placed over the religious images, in other words, kind of on top of them or decorating them during the summer solstice celebration. I think another derivation could be hyper above, that this plant is more sacred than the religious image. It's hyper icon. It's it's the superhero of the plant world. So I never liked calling it St. John's work because they kind of have a thing against John, and I just I'm not going to really go into my thing against John, but suffice it to say that there are no um, women in positions of authority in the Catholic religion because of John. So enough said. Um, So I cast about for another saint that I might have some feeling for. And of course... (laughs) Into my mind rose the flaming image of St. Joan. Hypericum perforatum, the image of summer solstice, the plant that stands right out in the blazing sun and protects us against sunburn. And what a story, you know? A teenage girl who brings victory to her country against a very large encroachment of another national power and who's burned at the stake because she won't deny that God spoke to her. She was burned as a heretic, because she said that God spoke to her. And of course, (laughs) God doesn't speak to girls. 
God doesn't speak to women. God speaks to the Pope. So I call it St. Joan's Word. And we're having a conference about it. Because like comfrey, this is a plant that I love, that I use very frequently. I don't make an infusion of it. I would never use it in a water base. I only use it in oil base externally and in tincture base for internal use. From the fresh plant only, I don't ever use the dried plant. So this is very different than comfrey, which I use as a dried plant and as an infusion. And the hypericum only as a tincture or oil of the fresh plant. But I have found, oh my goodness, such wonder and health and delight and amazing in the fear around hypericum perforatum as well. Hey, same deal as with comfrey. You can attend, and that's free of charge up until two weeks before the beginning of the conference. You can send in comfrey shorts, and we're always happy to have, I'm not comfrey shorts, you can send in your Hypericum shorts, and we're always happy to have your short videos, or you can apply to become a presenter. And you sent me a fairly long list of people who say they're going to be presenting and that we're starting to work with to help them focus their presentation. So if you want to be added to that list, this is the time to get in touch with us and tell us what it is you want to talk about in terms of hypericum perforatum. It's time to end the fear here, too. Love it. And our guest is with us um, in the queue. All right. That is perfect. And Meg Beeler is a shamanic guide, mentor, and author. She has a lifelong passion for soul healing, heart opening, and reweaving the connections between all beings. Meg helps her clients heal energy, soul, and spirit. Her book is Weave the Heart of the Universe into Your Life, Aligning with Cosmic Energy. She has founded Earth Caretakers Wisdom School. And she's a lifelong explorer of shamanic, animistic, and meditative consciousness. She primarily practices Earth-centered, nature-based, and Dian mysticism. She has a lifetime of teaching, and she's experienced in land-based community ceremony. In fact, Meg was a Silicon Valley consultant and the author of many technical books. She's also a master gardener, and she chairs the nonprofit Sonoma Mountain Preservation Group in the North San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome to the show, Meg. Thank you, Susan. I'm very happy to be here on the solstice. Yes. It's a nice way to spend the day with you. Isn't it wonderful that we get to be together on the solstice? Do you want to share with us any particular solstice story or any adventure that you've had on solstice, any ceremony that you've done? Well, for me, the the longest days is a great um, help to remembering to shine light to shine our inner light and 
and to be like the sun. And um, I, I guess the story I have is yesterday I was up on Mount, Mount Tamalpais, north of San Francisco, doing a star dispatcher ceremony, which is a very ancient Andean practice of giving an offering to call the star beings to come and help us in these troubled times and and connecting, you know, the sun is our star. So connecting the stars and the sun and this beautiful night sky with all the planetary alignments uh, in the next few days is just a perfect conjunction of space and time to open our hearts and be our light. The longest day, remember to shine your light. That's beautiful. I can see how much you have to give to people. What was your primary goal in writing Weave the Heart of the Universe? Um, I was very fortunate to go to the Andes 25 or 30 years ago and be introduced to the Carroll people who live at 15 to 17,000 feet, very high up. And what struck me most in my first visit was how joyful everybody was. You know, people live in stone huts. They have very little, and yet the, the joy was palpable all day long, and I'd never seen that, and I wanted to know how they did it. So I kept going back and back, and and my learnings really led to the book about, uh, you know, one of my teachers, Americo Yabar, was known as a master of moving energy. And so, you know, I learned all these energy practices, and I'd come home and go back to my life and yada, yada. And then when various pieces of my life started getting more and more difficult, my daughter was struggling, my parents were aging, that kind of thing, it got so bad that, I started really using the practices I'd learned every day from moment to moment. <laughs> and then I saw that they helped me get from minute to minute and hour to hour. And so the practices really took me into a different way of being in the world, uh, being being able to be present, to be open-hearted, to... Um, to engage with all the living beings around us and let go of energy that wasn't serving and take in energy that was serving. So I really wanted to share that. And since I've been a teacher all my life, it was kind of natural for me to write a book with a lot of practices that you can do on your own. And, and um, you know, like one example is um, the what I call the Earth Cosmos Meditation, where you connect yourself with the Earth, the center of the Earth, and bring that energy up through your heart and into the cosmos and you connect yourself with the cosmos and bring that energy down into the earth so you become um, a channel of light, a channel of those energies. And the more you do that, the more you can experience yourself in in alignment, uh, which is more and more important as in this troubled world when everything knocks us off base every day. So being able to come back to your center and and be in a listening place and a receiving place is just super helpful. Sounds a lot like um, short meditation that we do where we 
do our best to contact the heartbeat of the earth Mm -hmm. and then ask that our hearts beat as one with the heartbeat of the earth. Absolutely. But the same same flavor, shall we say, to both of Yeah, and and it's all about... I'm not standing here alone. I'm in this with all the rest of life. Absolutely. It's about connecting with all the beings around us. And that was another thing. You know, when I was a kid, the people weren't very nice to be around, but I love being in nature. And that served me really well as I became a shamanic practitioner because I was already a natural at hanging out with trees and stones. And um, But what I've, what I've seen with my students and myself is that when you make a relationship with the trees in your neighborhood or the plants in your neighborhood, you are bigger than yourself. You're in relationship with all the living beings. That changes your perspective and, and helps you survive and thrive. <clears throat> Absolutely. And it's not something you have to do. It's more something you have to undo. Yeah, we talk a lot about being, not doing. And when I first heard that concept, I don't know, 25 years ago, I came home and talked to people about being, and they all looked blankly at me. But somehow it's come into our consciousness that being our true selves is very important and is maybe the most important thing we can do. So this is a book that gives us exercises and practices so that we can align with our energy, with cosmic energy, with all different types of energy through our intention. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, the universe is in us. And it's also what we see outside of us. So finding that that flow is really, and for me, has been a really interesting process. Um, and there's a particular, in the Andes, you know, when I started studying there, uh, first of all, it wasn't a written, Quechua wasn't a written language. And second of all, nobody talked about what they did. They just did it. Total learning by immersion and initiation and observation. There was literally was no explanation. So I spent a lot of yes. years yes. trying to I sort out I'm what a real I, I explain things to you. Most apprentices never get things explained to them. They just have to follow <laughs> along. Right? Right. Right, you just had to follow along and hope you were, like, you know, doing the hip when you were supposed to hip and the hop when you were supposed to hop because otherwise you're off the cliff. But it's, you know, it's a wonderful way to learn because when you experience things, they're embedded in you and then your body knows them. So um, It's amazing to me that you're talking about Quechua because I just was contacted by uh, some women in Peru who wanted to know if my books were available to be translated into Quechua. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's fabulous. Yes. 
So we'll see what comes of that. That could be quite interesting. They said that there's a, a growing interest among speakers of Quechua in herbs and herbal medicine. Well, I have to tell you something that I probably never mentioned to anybody, but one of the times I was in Peru, there was a four-page insert in the newspaper, the main newspaper, about herbs. And I was like, oh, my God, the newspaper is publishing about herbs and plants, local plants? Right? <laughs> it was astounding. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> and so exciting because, of course, we never see that in the United States. Oh, that's not true. My mom used to send me the herb articles from the L.A. Times that came out every Sunday. Oh, yeah? Cool. Oh, yeah. The L.A. Times had a had a regular um, half-page article on one herb every Sunday. Hmm. And she'd often say, hey, this ashwagandha sounds good. Send me some. And I'd send her some, and then I'd hear, who do you expect to drink this nasty stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, how wonderful. I feel the same way in New Zealand. When I see the farming news in the newspaper, it's like, yes, I like to be someplace where there's farming news in the newspaper. (laughs) I was fascinated by, when you're talking about your experiential medicine bag, most people, I would guess, think of a medicine bag as like, something that you hang around your neck or that maybe you have a tripod for and you hang next to your teepee. Tell us a little more about what you're getting at with an experiential medicine bag. Hmm, That's a nice question. Um, To me, it means practices that you've learned that really work for you, that you can call on in times of stress or times when you have to recent, want to recenter, or times when you want to need to shine more. So, for example, in the in the Andean Cosmovision, everything is about energy, and and it's a matter of course that when you feel dense or heavy with something, anything, you gift it to the earth, and you take in the energy of the earth. You fill yourself with the earth energy instead. So you're in a constant reciprocal exchange of energy. And one thing that does is keep a flow going, and the other thing it does is gives you a tool to let go of what isn't serving you. So uh, say one of your housemates comes in and they're all cranky and acting out, and it sets you off. Well, you can go in the bathroom and just let that, feed that to the earth and come back and know that you're intact in your own self and that's their stuff that's a really practical uh, medicine tool that you carry in your medicine bag and just once you get um, get familiar with things they automatically come up I mean I'm I'm often driving along and a particular song will arise and I'll start singing a song and at first I don't even know why but then I realize that that song is connected to something that's happening so it's it's a it's just a really flowing way of uh, shifting your energy and shifting your consciousness. Um, you, you know, for a long time, I uh, I knew I was thinking about shifting consciousness, but I'd read all these books on consciousness, and I would just uh, go crazy because it was all philosophical and it's this and it's that and whatever. But for me, shifting consciousness is saying, okay. 
uh, the world we're in is not doing very well, so how do I need to perceive so I can live a better life, live a more connected life, live a more mm, radiant life? Uh, so that's what, you know, I think all my work is about shifting consciousness and certainly writing about connecting with the universe is part of that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I really hear you that um, you are encouraging us to try out various things and to keep the things that work for us in our toolbox and to keep them current so that when we hit a bump in the road, we have them available to us. Very well put, yes. So it's just it's the same as you do with herbs. You you have, you know, we're just talking to the woman about eyesight, and you have some things that you might take for eyesight, or you might have some things that you might put on your skin if you get a, an injury or whatever it is, and you just know those things and you do them without, they're in your experiential medicine bag. They're in my experiential medicine bag, and I've noticed over the past five years how many people are coming to what I'm calling phase two of herbal medicine as people's medicine. Phase one being, oh my goodness, you mean I can really use all these plants around me? What's this one? Dandelion? I can use that. What's this one? Plantain? I can use that. Oh my goodness, these plants I already know I can use. Phase two is, oh, I have this problem. And the remedy for it is tincture of hypericum. Oh, I made that last year. I have it. Mm-hmm. So they're they're going beyond just the learning about recognizing and learning how to make the remedies, but now they're coming exactly like you're saying. They're coming face to face with problems, and they have a medicine chest. They have a medicine bag. They have a way through. So that we often say to the apprentices, we're going to teach you a lot of things. Half of what we teach you won't be useful to you, but we don't know which half, so we'll have to teach you all of it. Right. Right? right? And even you, when you're collecting your tool, your medicine bag, don't know which half you're going to be using, so you better collect it all. Yeah, and, and keep it current. And I, you know, my experience is when you learn a new practice, if you do it for two weeks and nothing happens, it's not your practice. But it's actually, it's very amazing that we can only follow something new for about two weeks, and then we space it out. I, it just sort of astounds me. <laughs> mm, yeah. So, so choosing, choosing what works for you is so essential. And so that requires listening and paying attention. Really, when I talk about alignment, it's to to be in a place where you can be receptive and alert and hear what's going on, whether it's a plant speaking to you or a tree or a stone or one of your spirit guides, to hear and take in and reciprocate and be in this relationship all the time. Uh, So that being comes up again instead of doing. I mean, we have to make our tinctures but we also have to step back and listen for what tincture is appropriate now or what practice is appropriate now. So well said, so beautifully said. 
certainly I know that my practices were a critical component of my, my being able to come back from a massive disruption <laughs> in my life and that that my teacher's insistence that it's not about how well you do the practice, it's about doing the practice was very important to me since basically all I could do was show up for the practice but not do it at all. But because I've had such good teachers, I recognized that that was enough and that that's where it starts. Mm. Yeah, the other day one of my old clients was at this ceremony and uh, she just, her job just ended and and uh, we were we were standing in the group. The group was just gathering, and I noticed her putting her hand on the tree, and I knew she was connecting with that tree, letting some of her anxiety go and trying to be present. So, I, you know, I gave her a thumbs up, but it was it was so sweet to see that she she was on it with what she, she needed to do. She had a practice, and she knew that that practice was there for her. She didn't I, have to go know, out and find a way right. to do it. It was already in her medicine bag. Thank you for drawing and, our attention. And I find that, that a lot of people, I mean, I'm sure you find the same thing. People go to workshop after workshop and learn all this stuff, and then they don't do any of it. And so it's it's not useless, but it, it uh, could be a lot more useful if people would tune in to what really is uh, functional for them. And, you know, it's hard. I didn't do it. I knew all this stuff, but I didn't do it regularly until I was in crisis. And when I was in crisis, it helped me stay balanced minute by minute, and so I did it more. And so, you know, the the feedback loop really helps. <laughs> right, right, yes. Like, oh, <laughs> yes, this is working. Keep doing it. So I think, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention is we're in a time of really needing spiritual evolution uh, to go beyond whatever we learned in our growing up times and find find our path and find ways to be our light and to be in our hearts. Um, so over the last few years, actually during COVID, I started writing a book about leading with heart. And, and I, it became clear to me that in my perspective, heart is at the center. Being in your heart is at the center of everything. And there's, a, there's an Andean prophecy um, that, that people tell about the eagle and the condor. I don't know if you've ever heard it. But in the prophecy, um, you know, my teachers came out 50 years ago because of this prophecy to share what they knew. But in the prophecy, this is a time right now of the eagle of the north the mind of the North coming together with the condor of the South, the heart of the South. And, you know, it's a kind of simple idea, but it's also very profound. How do we get our minds and our hearts to work together instead of always being in our minds? It's very, very challenging. So I, I've started, you know, writing about this and teaching about this because our culture is so rewarding of mind stuff and so unrewarding of heart stuff. <laughs> so we need a lot of support. <laughs> Thank you for offering that support, and it's true. And it's one of the things that we do very well as human beings is that we model for each other different ways of being. 
and we're very good at copying each other. And when we see that someone is doing something interesting, we do indeed like to copy that. So thank you for being that and offering that to all of us. Yeah, Somebody that you. we can we can copy, that we can say, oh, look what she's doing. I want to do that too. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, uh, in, in July, I'm going to do an online version of this, this course. And I, I did the first iteration a few months ago and have been meeting with the group ever since, you know, once a month. And it's so sweet to have the support and nurturance of other people who are trying to be in their hearts. And to be able to talk about what's keeping you from that and, and what's helping you do that and and just be connected that way. The Sangha is always the important yeah, part of the people who are doing what you're doing and who support you in doing that and doing that elegantly and graciously and wholeheartedly. Oh, I love that. The Sangha of the Heart. Very, very nice, Susan. Yeah. yeah. Well, I could talk to you for a very long time. I am really enjoying uh, all that you have to say. Would you please share with us how we can get in touch with you? So, sure. My website is megdealer, M-E-G-B-E-E-L-E-R.com. And you can hear from me monthly on my newsletter. You can Sign up for workshops. There's a lot of blogs that you can read about, you know, everything from the heart to the eagle and the condor to to energy practices. So there's there's of course a wealth of information, and you know I work with people individually in mentoring as well as in healing. And I started doing mentoring because I'd spent all these years learning and I had good teachers, but I didn't have anybody to ask okay, I know this and this, I know they're connected, but I can't figure out how. So the mentoring is a really wonderful thing where people have whatever they have and we figure out uh, what the interconnections are and where they can build their practice and where they can take it. Um, What an important service, yes, yes. I went to a local osteopath, and he said, oh, you, you know, you have so many people taking care of you. Why did you come to me? And I said, because this one is taking care of this part of me, and this one's taking care of that part of me, and this one's taking care of that part of me. And I wanted somebody who was going to take care of all of me. Mm. Yeah, I have an acupuncturist I go to for that. Yeah. Yeah, just that one that one person who isn't, you know, a specialist, but more of a generalist and can... Um, see mm-hmm. perhaps the, the things that the the other helpers aren't seeing because they uh, they have a way of looking into the insides of things, shall we say? Yes. Well, yes. I, I want to say I'm very grateful to talk to you because I've known about you for seems like forever. <laughs> I hate to say how long. <laughs> it's nice to connect in person. <laughs> it's lovely to connect in person and to know that you are doing this very important work that you are offering all of us and offering, um, you know, basically this uh, uh, ability to um, give people a 
way to cohere and not go from this to that to the other thing, but to to sink down into what they already have and and use the richness of it. As I said, I could mm-hmm. easily talk to you for much, much longer, but it's a blog talk show, and you know they just severely cut us off right at, you know, 9.30, click, and they're gone. So I want to thank you, take this opportunity to thank you for being with us. And I have this image that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients, and I want to thank you for the really delicious threads that you have added to this weaving and that you are continuing to add to this weaving. And Sarah Ellen, my gratitude, gratitude, gratitude for helping me with yet another conference. I kind of, you know, I was like after the Comfrey conference and we had done so well and we were all so happy and I thought, do I dare ask them if they want to help me do another one? <laughs> and, and you know, everybody just said, oh, of course we want to do another one. So thank you, Sarah Ellen, for helping to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And thank you everyone who's listening, and everyone who calls in. Herbal medicine is medicine that's right outside your door. Good night and green blessings, everybody. Good night. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.